Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Joan Patton, AO. And we're going to talk about what that AO means in just a moment, but before we get started, well, first of all, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Would you please open us with a word of prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And we thank you, Lord, for always remaining with us. We ask you now to awaken our hearts to your presence and to the many gifts you are offering to us in these days as we begin the season of Advent. and pray for the intercession of our Blessed Mother and our patron saints that we will continue to trust the Lord and follow him wherever he goes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Joan comes to us from far away, all the way across the campus uh, here at the Diocese of Orange, but she's also involved with another ministry. And before I get into any of those kinds of things, you've got two letters at the end of your name. What does capital A, capital O stand for? Sure. AO stands for Apostolic Oblate, and that is uh, ultimately, it's, it's who I am. It's my vocation. So are you a sister? No. Okay, now I'm confused. So how how is it that you have the letters after your name, and it's not a PhD or MA, it's AO, but you're not a sister. What does that mean? I'm a member of a secular institute. The Apostolic Oblates is a secular institute in the Catholic Church. And so basically, the understanding is that there's many different ways one can give one's life to God in the Catholic Church, and there's many different forms of consecrated life, and that's often what people don't realize. Okay, so let's go through some nuts and bolts. When we say consecrated life, what does that mean? Yes. Uh, so it's all in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Well, that <laughs> and, doesn't matter. Uh, that's a very right. thick book. <laughs> so this is right. This is my reference. Um, so I would refer you to that if you'd like right, to know more. Um, I've actually made a kind of an infographic to describe all this too. So you can check that out on the diocese website. We can talk about that later. Okay. Um, but consecrated life, ultimately you could define it as one who's given their life to God in a complete and stable way and permanent way. So it's not a, you know, it's something I'm going to do for a couple of years and then, and then move on and get married. <laughs> this is after I finish this whole spiel, people say, so can you get married? I'm like, no, <laughs> you give your life to God. You belong to God in a certain sense. Like, right. We become the spouse of Christ. And so consecrated life as a whole, you can imagine that's the umbrella and it's recognized by usually some type of public profession of vows, um, the evangelical councils, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Um, most religious institutes have a, maybe another vow or promise attached to their order that um, is particular to their charism or mission. For example, my particular mission uh, as an apostolic oblate is to promote the universal call to holiness. That is our charism and our mission. And so we make a promise of apostolate in addition to the evangelical council vows. Other uh, religious communities, for example, like a cloistered order, makes a vow of an enclosure. Okay. So... You make a vow of apostolate. Promise. I know what an uh-huh. apostle is. Apostolate. Okay. Yes. Uh, that's a promise, not a vow. What's mm-hmm. the difference between a promise and a vow? Mm, they, they basically are both binding, um, but the evangelical councils are for all consecrated in a, in a certain sense. Um, the promise is, like I said, particular to the mission. And basically, if you want to talk about the difference between a secular institute member and a religious order, you can just define that. So again, the umbrella of consecrated life is all who give their life to God in a permanent way, public right. way, right? Recognized. But there's many different ways you can do that. And so the most, the ways that, that we recognize in the church are religious communities is what you know, religious sisters and priests and brothers, um, the saints that you can think of or, or the religious that you know. And their whole form of consecration, aside from their mission themselves, is, is that visible sign, right? When we look at a religious, or a priest, for example, like what goes through your mind? Well, you recognize them as someone who's dedicated themselves to God by their habit. Right. You think of something holy. You think of God and, and I hope heaven and, you know, like it lifts your mind. Right. And that is, that's a good thing. That is kind of what they serve. They're an eschatological sign, a sign that points to heaven. 
um, by virtue of their vocation, they've given their lives completely to God. They're espoused to the Lord, and that's really the reality we will all experience in heaven, that they're they're kind of anticipating that and living that out on earth now. And, like, that's the, the radical sign of religious life that, you know, aside, like I said, from their mission, which is particular to the order, um, but even if they're retired, there's still that eschatological sign. And we recognize that by their, their community life, by their, their public um, life, you know, by the signs that they wear by their prayer life. And so all those things serve that sign. Members of a secular institute, next form we'll move into for consecrated life. Secular institute members are meant to be more of a hidden presence. We're not meant to be that visible sign. We're a hidden presence. That's the term secular. Yeah, secular institute okay. is the is the term. But we are really meant to complement religious life. And secular, you think of, well, you think of sometimes bad things, but you think of the world, right? Very worldly, secular, it's now... Or at least in the world or among Sure, them. right. And that's the whole point. Our mission field is meant to be in the world. Of course, as all Christians, no one's meant to be of the world. But our apostolate is meant to be lived in the world. We're an extension of the church in the world, in secular reality, secular society. And so religious are, have this certain sense of dying to the world. When they profess their vows, they usually lay prostrate on the ground, and it's a sense of dying. They take a new name, a religious name, because they're dying to their former life, right? Um, priests wear black because they are dead to <laughs> their previous world, okay. right? So, like, that's <laughs> the church has purposes for everything. Secular institute members are meant to be, different descriptions have been, we're meant to be the long arms of the priest in the world. We're meant to be, like, yeast is in bread in the world. That's the, the symbol the church uses to define Secular institutes. What is the call of the laity? To be light, leaven, and salt in the world. As members of a secular institute, we're meant to do that in a, again, radical way. To bring our consecration to secular realities. For example, priests and religious can't be um, politicians by virtue. It's it's in canon law, right? Because they're a public person of the church. And um, secular institute members could be. (laughs) Because they uh, have a different you know, vocation and and state or charism, basically. But they're meant to basically sanctify society from within. Okay, so let's go back to the the term apostolate. Okay, what the yes. word apostle means? Yeah. So an apostle is someone who's been sent. And oh, the, yes. the, the 12 apostles uh-huh. who were sent out by Christ are no longer just disciples. You're, you're always learning, but we're moving on. You're going to become an apostle now. So you take a promise to the apostolate. Yes. What does that mean for you? Okay. Yeah. Actually, breaking down the, the title that I have, Apostolic Oblate, mm-hmm. and you already defined, apostolic means to be sent. Oblate means offering. And so in reality, like as an apostolic oblate, I'm a sent offering into the world. <laughs> ah. And um, and so, so you're a living sacrifice, so to speak. That Yeah. That's the, our Paul, vocation. Paul named right? you. Okay. <laughs> and um, that is the ideal. And so the apostolate, uh, particular to our our institute, is to promote the universal call to holiness. But ultimately, every secular institute is for the sake of an apostolate. It serves it serves a mission. And so religious make vows literally for the sake of making vows for that public witness. Secular institute members make vows because it's at the service of the apostolate. And so it's it's the same thing, kind of focused in a different way. What's the practical? difference between someone who is called to consecrated life like you Mm -hmm. versus a traditional sister or nun who might be called to a cloistered order or to a non-cloistered community. What's the practical difference? Do you Mm -hmm. live in community? Yes, that's a a great point. So religious institutes typically have community life. It's part of their characteristic. Secular institutes typically do not have community life. However, there's an exception to everything. The church allows um, secular institutes to have what we call fraternal life. And again, it's at the service of the apostolate. And so I do live in a fraternal life in a community setting. And the members of my community are basically missionary. Um, so I'm originally from Nebraska. And I was sent. Our country in the middle of, <laughs> of the United States land. It's a great place. So, yeah. A lot of people fly over it. Or yes, so they, or they don't say. know where it is. Somewhere in the mid- middle of the country. Kind of a rectangular. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, but yes, I was sent from Nebraska to California about seven years ago now to continue our, our local mission here in Orange. So that's part of it. Okay. So, so in, for all intents and purposes... You personally, in the setting you're in, in a fraternal uh, setting, you're probably more similar to 
a traditional sister or nun than most other consecrated people. Yes, there is definitely some similarities there. And a lot of secular institutes do have members who live on their own. But again, they get together either probably virtually or in person, depending on situations for um, formation, for retreats. So no one is ever ultimately. Okay, so they come together from time to time. Mm -hmm. But there would they be since you say they're secular, would they be like in apartments out in in town in the city? Yeah, they would live in normal houses where normal, like basically street clothes or secular clothes um, and have normal jobs, sometimes maybe a religious or a church type job. But um, but ultimately, that is the whole point is that they would bring their consecration and ultimately like the church into these realities. Okay. So if I'm looking at you right now, you're not exactly wearing what I would call a traditional habit. Uh, you've got a pink sweater on <laughs> and uh, you've got a, a medallion that looks like it's uh, the Virgin and, and Jesus, oh, yes. but it's hard to see. Uh-huh. I'm wearing a necklace um, with the image of Our Lady of Trust. And so she's the patroness of my community. Our Lady of Trust is the image itself hangs in St. John Lateran in Rome. So the attire you're wearing, though, isn't exactly a habit, is it? Or no, do I, no, 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 I do not wear a habit. So my community would try to dress feminine and, mm-hmm. and modest, of course, but um, but we don't have religious habits because that's not part of, of our consecration. Okay, mm-hmm. so it, modest, but if I didn't, if I wasn't told by somebody who was a consecrated and I run into the grocery store, mm-hmm. I'm not going to recognize them other than if I happen to see that they're wearing a medallion or something. Right, yes. I mean, I'm probably not going to dye my hair purple um, <laughs> to blend into society even more. Because <laughs> so, our goal is, is, is <laughs> nothing wrong with purple hair, but it's not for me, um, is to basically bring us higher, right? We're meant yeah. to to keep striving for sanctification in our, in our realities. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so if, during this segment, I've been totally confused, and yet I, I feel like I understand a little bit better. When we come back, I want to make sure we have a chance to talk a little bit about what actually got you involved yourself personally in this, because this seems to me a, a little bit on the strange side. Why would you go for something that isn't quite... A nun, mm. but yet you've given up your entire life, including your ability to have a husband and children. And I know some women who would tell you that's a blessing in and of itself. <laughs> I thank God for my wife's patience every day. But I, I want to know why, how did you feel called and why to this? Okay. Yeah. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Joan Patton. AO stands for Apostolic Oblates. And she's a member of a secular institute, which is not the same as being a a sister or a nun, but it is one of vowed life, and she's married to Christ like a sister or a nun. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how that came to be. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Joan Patton, who is an apostolic oblate, which is a secular institute. We were talking a little bit about the differences between being a sister in community, whether it is a cloistered a sister or someone who is living in community. Your call in a, as a secular institute oblate is not quite the same, and we were saying that on the one hand, you might end up living in some sort of a communal setting where you've got fraternal work together, so it, it happens to they co- your your calls coincide. But for the most part, you're not called really to a community order. This seems to me to be a little bit strange. You're giving up not only having a, a family, which I, I recognize not everyone is called to have a family, but you're also giving up relationship in certain senses of being called to a permanent community as well. Explain to me a little bit from a personal perspective how this came to be for you. Oh, sure. Because you can talk about, in general, how people might in generally be called mm-hmm. to this or that. How did it affect you? Your little girl growing up in Nebraska, what got you uh, where you are today? Well, I often, when people, like the burning question for all of us is like, what is God's will for my life? Like that is the question we all ask at some point, and I hope, we're still asking. And so when I started to ask that question, and, and that was in high school and college, and I was exposed to two pretty good, you know, examples and, and 
really vocations. I had peers and, and young adults with me discerning religious vocations and the priesthood. I was in a junior legion of Mary. And so in working like door to door evangelization with some priests. So I just had some really good examples in my life. So the whole question of a vocation in the church was not outside of my my thought, nor was it so abnormal. But I also like, you know what you know. And so I was aware of religious communities, uh, a few orders of sisters. And when I finally got brave enough to check out the call and maybe go on a discernment retreat, I did start to visit a few religious communities. And I started to understand charisms or missions, basically. And I visited a teaching order um, in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they were a beautiful order, and they sang beautifully, and they had a lot of fun together. And at the end of the retreat, they said, you know, our charism is to be elementary school teachers. So if you don't want to be a teacher, you probably don't want to join our order. <laughs> I'm like, I like kids, but I don't like school. <laughs> I do not. You're talking to I, an educator, oh, though. Oh, did goodness. that for 20 plus years. <laughs> so, so clear. I'm like, I don't want to be a teacher. Uh, no. <laughs> so and so like I just, as, as a former principal, thank you for recognizing that you did not have that call. Mm-hmm. It's much better to be able to work with somebody who doesn't get hired rather than try to work with someone that you eventually have to fire. This is not, yeah. Not everyone is called to be a teacher. No, no, no. (laughs) I didn't want to be a teacher. So that was really clear. Um, I was also attracted to, um, there is an order in Lincoln, Nebraska, that they're called the Holy Spirit Adoration Sisters, and they wear pink habits. And um, I just thought that was cool. And and they're a cloistered order. And um, my family knew them growing up. My mom would ask them to pray for her pregnancies and so I was aware of them. And so I'd often, so they've been praying for you your whole life. Yes. Literally. Right. And so I would visit them on occasion to like just their chapel and everything. And I was just attracted to, to just the greatness that was there. And, um, but in my heart, I knew I wasn't called to be a cloistered nun. Like I just knew that I literally had to go there finding a reason to just dismiss it. And so I went, I went to mass one day with them and, and I heard them <laughs> singing and I was like, Oh, I can't sing that high. I can't join this order. <laughs> I already knew I wasn't going to join this order. So like, I think it's distinguishing like, okay, the, the type, you know, now I was aware of my community and we're in also in Nebraska, um, the apostolic oblates, but I honestly, as a high school, in college student, I didn't understand the difference between a secular institute and a religious institute, but I knew I liked them. I liked the women that I saw. I liked the work that they did. The apostolate that they do in Nebraska is a lot of family um, spirituality. So they run a girls camp. They do confirmation retreats, college students retreats. And so there's just a lot of, you know, collaboration and, and opportunities. And so I got involved as a volunteer and I just, I liked the work they did. And then as I continued to work and volunteer with them, I would, I started praying with them. Now, wait, when were you volunteering? Was this high school, college? Um, college, or? college young adult. Uh-huh. And how often were you involved with that? I would spend the summer there Summers. with their um, camp. I would go in the fall and do other projects, um, like I said, retreats and things like that. So they became uh, like a part-time job for you. Right. And okay. it was, and it was, I was attracted to, like I said, the work they did. Their joy. I mean, there was a witness. Um, what did you do in college? I studied human services, and I started working at a group home for adults with disabilities. Okay, so you worked with, you had a job, and you worked with adults with disabilities. Were you part of the caretaking staff? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm, like, so like re- relief work type stuff? Um, so basically just a home teacher, basically, okay. for the adults. Um, and then when you were in college, you were in a major that was... Going to set you on a path in a number of different possible directions, including this one. Mm-hmm. And of service, basically. I liked to work with people. So mm-hmm. your your part-time job was working with people in a servant-service type of relationship. Mm-hmm. And your avocation, which was working with the sisters when you could steal a chance away, you would volunteer with them. Yeah, but they're so not sisters. <laughs> okay, we, we see, can, you got me. We can call them ob- oblates, <laughs> working with the oblates, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, now are, are they sensitive to that? Is there is we try to distinguish ourselves um, simply because we're not religious. We okay. you know, like we're not part of religious communities. It's a secular institute. So you don't want to masquerade as something you're not um, in the church, but also just to help people understand the difference. OK. Mm-hmm. OK. So more of an educational tool, not not necessarily we've we've offended. you. Oh, no. So, okay. no, no, I'm not offended. So <laughs> let's go. Let's go back to Nebraska then. So you're in college and you're volunteering for these people, but you haven't said that you felt necessarily called to be one of them, just you liked what they did. Right. And ultimately, I was struggling with, you know, if we start to pay attention in our own hearts. I knew the Lord was inviting me to consider a consecrated life at large, whatever that meant, wasn't sure. Um, and I was more struggling with that 
consideration of like, what am I going to give up? Am I going to be happy? I, this is not my plan. I was going to get married. Um, like, I was say, when you're in your twenties, hormones are raging. Like a normal person, you know. Yeah. Well, so yeah, you know, I I teach college. Mm-hmm. I see hormones all over the place. And I'm sorry, but that's a very powerful drive. Mm-hmm. And I was actually, I dated one very nice guy. We were. I was going to ask young. that, but I, well, when to ask that question? <laughs> <laughs> I was homeschooled in high school. Okay. So I had a very non-traditional growing up anyway, but I had some very good friends and dated a guy for a while. And ultimately I broke up with him and said, you know what? I need to, I need to discern my vocation. And I just recognized that. Like, How long were you with this guy? A year. And we had. Did he move on to get married? Oh, or? yeah. He okay. got married. I went to his wedding. We heard okay. we were still friends, yeah. you know, Thank and that even at his wedding, I was like, I'm so glad I'm not marrying you. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Totally fine. But I, I knew I wasn't meant to marry him. Yeah. Um, and um, and and just even as I like prayed and, and dreamed and thought about my future, I was invited to like, you know, you can like write letters to your future husband. And um, so I did that for a while. And then I started a relationship with another guy and he went to boot camp and we were writing letters to each other and I started to notice I think I'm writing to two different men. Um <laughs> this is not my future husband. And um and then that ended too. So um so no, that's ult- glad you were able to see that though. Yeah. yeah. Um but uh and so ultimately I basically Jesus wouldn't leave me alone. You know, he just kept inviting me. And I even told him, I'm like, all right Lord I know you're calling me to consider consecrated life. And so for a while, I was like, give me five years. I want to do things with my life. Lord, make me holy, um, but don't make it yeah. down. <laughs> I mean, I'm living in Nebraska. I've never seen the ocean. I wanted to go places Fair and enough. finish college. And I remember like making this deal with God, like, give me five years. I want to do things and we'll talk about my vocation. And then I went and told my sister. I just made a deal with God. <laughs> wow. um, and like, God doesn't make deals with people. Like, you know, he respects where we're at, but he won't stop. Inviting, you want to make God laugh. Tell you know. Friends. Yeah, he'll keep inviting. And he did. And it reached the point where I realized he was inviting me to let him love me. And so as I started the habit of daily prayer, going to an adoration chapel and not even knowing what to do there, but I'm like, all right, I'm here. I'm going to make myself stay here for an hour. And I was so restless. I would like walk around the church and afraid what God was going to ask me. Um, (laughs) And ultimately over time, I started to realize how much the Lord loved me and I could trust him and trust his plans for my life. And things started to calm down inside my own heart. And um, I recognized, I just want to be here with you, Lord. And I want to be closer to you. And I like literally went from like the back of the church of like, uh, what's going to happen to the front where like, it doesn't matter. I'm with Jesus. Oh, I like that analogy. <laughs> but we all, <laughs> as a former educator, when the kids come into the back of the class, they're not sure they really want to be there. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, so, But if they like the class, yeah, they, they migrate up. Right. And they're in the front two rows just to, to, to vary it a little bit. But. You ended up going to the back of the class. And yes. You migrated up. And he just, cool. he just kind of like, again, he, he just takes us where we're at, but he just keeps bringing us closer to him. And so after a while I worked, I had this habit of going to work, going to pray and helping the Oblates at their retreat center in Nebraska. What were the Oblates saying to you? They were very gentle and just kind of like welcoming, but not pushy. And so at a certain point I realized I really like being with them. I like the work. I like praying with them. I am falling in love with Jesus when I'm with them. That was a sign for me. Okay, so so you really could differentiate at the time, mm-hmm. which is pretty good for a 20-something-year-old, yeah. mm-hmm. that you weren't just falling in love with this community. You were falling in love with Jesus partly because of the community. Right. And that's an important distinction. In that setting, yes. And and I was like, why don't they ask me to stay? Like, I really <laughs> wanted them to ask me. Okay, now I'm at a point where... <laughs> I feel like it's secure here. <laughs> Am I doing something not quite right? <laughs> so, and um, no, like they respected my freedom, okay. you know, to the point where I realized I want, this is what I want. I want to be an apostolic goblet. I'm still trying to figure out what that means, you know, at that time. And I still had to understand maybe a, what is a secular institute. But really, I was attracted to their work, their charism. And like I said, basically, I, I fell in love with Jesus through them and with them. And so, um, and there was a lot of other it took time and experiences to confirm that. So when you were in college and when you were volunteering, you, you're saying that apostolic oblates, generally speaking, don't live in community. But this sounds like there was a community there. We have there. a community in Nebraska as well. We have members who live on their own. Okay. And those are called external apostolic oblates. And then okay. we have members that live in fraternal life, and they're called internal apostolic oblates, which is what I am as well. And you in Nebraska live nearby one of that particular it was group. Close, yes. Mm-hmm. So you just... I won't use the word lucky. You were blessed in having that near you that you could actually see that. 
So what you really saw was something akin to being a, a nun or a sister, but yet you also were able to see people who were who were external. Did you see their ministry as well at I this d- stage? I did. And at the time, it just was really simple of like, no, I, I feel called. And like that's part of the distinction, this understanding of do I, am I called to community life? But also am I called to be a missionary? Because our, our members who live in community don't stay in the same place. And and I was I had never lived anywhere besides Nebraska. And that part scared me. You know, I'm like, I'm, I don't know if I want to be a missionary. But um. And even when I joined the community in Nebraska, I remained with them. We had our, we have three years of formation and then, you know, continued on. I was there for seven years with the community before I moved to California. And okay, that was huge. After college. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. I was 23. Mm-hmm. When we come back, because we're now at a stage where it sounds like we you've made some commitments as to what you want to do. So then you spent seven years there. When we come back, I want to find out what has brought you here and what it is that you do here. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Joan Patton, AO for Apostolic Oblates. And she's trying to explain to me the differences between Apostolic Oblates and regular sisters and nuns. And she's doing a remarkable job. I'm doing a poor job trying to understand. We're going to try to, to dig deeper so I understand more fully when we come back. I think you'll understand more too. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today, keeping things crystal clear, okay, not not as crystal clear as I would like because I'm still confused, is Joan Patton, AO, which stands for Apostolic Oblates. And to kind of recap, we've been talking a little bit about how that AO stands for an order you're permanently attached to... But you're not a sister or a nun. You're in the secular world. You happen to be living in a fraternal, therefore kind of a community setting. Mm -hmm. But your particular calling in general is to be out in the world, not so much inside a cloister or otherwise in a convent. Did I summarize that okay? Yes. So we're kind of in a halfway world from my perspective because I'm coming at it from a a married uh, person, totally in the secular world. I study, I teach, and I do this, and I raise my family, and I've got beautiful children who are going into secular things, at least I think. But that still leaves me from this perspective of saying I'm not entirely sure all these differences. You've been doing a good job explaining. I want to hear more from you. You got to the secular institutes. How did you feel called to the oblates, and you knew you wanted to go there instead of somewhere else like into a regular community where you might have support in your prayer, you might have a different kind of a life. Mm -hmm. Eventually, it just became really simple. And I am so grateful for that, that God's will, you know, is something that we need to ask and and pray to discern. But it also is really simple. And so I had an opportunity while I was discerning before I joined the Apostolic Goblets to go to a kind of a vocation conference in Chicago and I went with a group of sisters that I knew I was, it was the teach, teachers. I wasn't going to join them, but they were, they were good friends. And so we did this like bus trip to Chicago with a bunch of other young women who were discerning. I met a whole bunch of religious communities. And while I was there, uh, two things happened. One, I just felt like so overwhelmed. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I have to, I have to introduce myself to all these people and. I don't know, something inside me just kind of shut down, like this just seems like a lot of work. So paying attention, again, to our our own hearts, our own interior feelings is helpful, you know, to notice like where the Spirit, Holy Spirit is moving us. Um, So I just noticed this resistance in me of like, I don't want to go all over the country trying to find the perfect community I belong to, now that I'm pretty certain God's calling me to consecrated life. So that happened, and I wasn't quite sure what to do with that. The other thing that happened that weekend um, was John Paul II, our Pope, died. And it was, I mean, I had gone to a World Youth Day in, in Canada, so, like, you know, he was my Pope. <laughs> so, yes. so when wow. they made the announcement that he died, or he was dying, the entire conference went to the church. This was at Mundelein. And of went, course it was. <laughs> <laughs> we went and prayed in the church there. And the soon-to-be Bishop Barrett was probably there, wasn't uh, he? <laughs> maybe not, maybe maybe. not yet. <laughs> so, uh, But we were praying in the church, and it was so striking. I looked around, and I could see... You know, priests, religious, brothers, sisters, people, young people, 
all praying for our Holy Father. And I just had this beautiful understanding of like, this is in, this is the church and I am part of this church. And like this, this is where I belong. You know, it, wow. it was, it was incredible. And then when they did make the announcement, he did die. My first thought was, oh my gosh, now I can pray to him. Um, <laughs> and he can help me. All know? right, you're up there now. I, I'm assuming you're, you have no purgatory time right. with a whiff. Either way, he yeah. can pray for me. Um, pray for me, please. So I was just like, he did it. He was faithful. I, he said yes to God. My biggest thing was like, I'm, I'm afraid to say yes to God. And I was like, and he, you know, we admired his faithfulness his entire life. And so ultimately I'm like, John Paul II helped me say yes to whatever God's asking. And so I went home and back to Nebraska. And actually, the Oblates were really gracious. They let me, like, make a tribute wall to John Paul II in one of their buildings. Um, and it, Now, when you say tribute wall, like a... I, like, I painted, a, like... A painting, a mural. Yeah, and okay. I'm not an artist. Like, <laughs> I, I don't... Oh, that, like, really was, that really was faithful. It was enough. generous, yes. <laughs> so I did a number of things. But I, I basically did this, like, be not afraid wall. You know, in his Very honor. Cool, yeah. And 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 that was fun. So I was like, Well, I'm gonna keep going. And so they had many walls on this they had a barn on so the two us on the base of yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. And so I was just like, Okay, I'm gonna just keep decorating this barn and again, my art skills are are very primary. So I made like stained glass window pictures on this wall of the barn. And I thought, I'm going to do this for the Oblates, and I'm going to use different symbols that represent what I see their mission being, you know? Yeah. And so, and what I see with their camp and different things like that. So this whole project of painting a barn wall, again, put me in this position of, like, stop moving and listen. Because it forced me to, like, stand still. You have to visualize what it is that these people are doing. Mm-hmm. That helped crystallize in you a lot, didn't yes. it? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I painted. I, I brought some friends in. A young man who was a friend of mine came in and helped, and he was discerning the priesthood, and so he needed a place to <laughs> discern as well. He became a priest. Um, wow. And uh, he, painted the successful our, wall. he painted the Our Father on the wall. So <laughs> anyway, it was Very just good. beautiful how God, again, he provides for us to discern his will. And his will is really simple. I'm like, it's usually right in front of you. And we think it's so simple. I'm like, well, surely it's not that. I had ruled out the apostolic oblates because I was like, well, you know, I don't really know what they do. And I, I know them. And I honestly didn't know they made vows. I was like, oh, you know, it's probably again like that you mentioned earlier, like not going all the way or whatever. People yeah. often look at secular institutes and think, you know, well, what, when are you going to go all the way and become a sister? <laughs> and I'm like, um, <laughs> you know, no, this is our permanent call. <laughs> so, um, and it's not like they're not on different tiers. They're equal in consecrated life. But it's they a have different, different form, yeah. you know. I mean, to confuse you more, we also in the church have consecrated virgins, and we have hermits, and we have societies of and apostolic those are life. different from what those you are, are. Those are those are three other forms of consecrated life okay. um, in the church. And the whole point of these different forms, one bishop, very good bishop, just said the Holy Spirit has a lot of ideas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but ultimately, they all serve a different purpose. And so the catechism really distinguishes this, and it's beautiful. You know, as we mentioned earlier, religious terror, that that visible sign. Secular institutes are meant to be that complementary, um, hidden reality that elevates, you know, society. Consecrated virgins are meant to be this, again, it's a visible uh, witness of the bride of Christ. Like, we all have this understanding that we're the spouse of Christ, but a consecrated virgin reminds us that the church is the bride of Christ. We have a living witness of spiritual realities, things we can't see. We need tangible signs. Hermits, ultimately, okay, they're people who, who live apart from society and pray. The catechism says they witness a particular solitude with Christ. That, again, we're all meant to have these experiences and these spiritual realities, but we have these living witnesses of them. Societies of apostolic life, which is kind of a different form of religious life, but different vowed state. Part of it's canonical, but ultimately their spiritual witness is that they they have, in again, this witness in the church of, if it, uh, people living in harmony as a community, as the early church communities, um, different things like that. So they all serve these different purposes. This is a, even aside from their mission and charism and good works that they do. Now, you joined the Oblates in Nebraska. You said you spent seven years there mm -hmm. after you joined. What kind of work did you do there during that time? Basically, did the apostolate and the work that our community did there. We have, like I said, the camp and confirmation retreats. Okay. I started working for the Archdiocese of Omaha to help with campus ministry for college students, and I, had, I loved doing that as well. 
and a beautiful. So you are called to be a teacher, just not of, of academic subjects. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, it's just the classroom I didn't like. <laughs> so, um, well, you argued with the curriculum, <laughs> perhaps. But actually, a, a beautiful confirmation uh, that I received in my own discernment was um, when I was discerning because I was studying human services and social work. I really wanted to help foster kids. Um, in Omaha, we have Boys Town, and it's a awesome outreach. Uh, they have family teachers on their property where a married couple take in all these kids for a matter of time and give them a family experience. And that was really attractive to me. But I was like, well, I have to find a guy who would want to do that. And, <laughs> um, and so when I finally realized the Lord's calling me to consecrate life, again, I thought I was like giving those things up. And I also, I was a nanny for a, a family of seven for a while. Oh, wow. And so that was when I was in high school going into college. So okay, I, <laughs> I realized I, I this very particular understanding of I really love to love other people's children. And that, that was just really clear. I, I worked at a, a, sh- a children's shelter and just had a great time with the kids there and just recognized this need that they had that I could be a part of. So again, I thought I was giving those things up when I said, fine, I believe, yes, the Lord's calling me to consecrated life. Until a friend of mine in Omaha pointed out, Joan, you have all these spiritual children in the confirmation retreats, in the camp, in the college um, campus ministry. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> and it was beautiful to see that, you know, this desire I had, I want, I love to love other people's children, is being fulfilled by the Lord in a way that I just couldn't have imagined. And I think that's that's something I just wanted to point out. Like when we have these understanding, these desires in our hearts, especially when we're discerning God's will and our vocation, to not just either set them aside and ignore them or try to fulfill them ourselves. Like the whole point is to surrender these desires to the Lord because he has a great imagination <laughs> and he has great plans for our lives. And he does honor what's in our hearts and desires to fulfill what's from him. What brought you to California? Well, as an apostolic, I was sent. Um, (laughs) And so we have a a community in Fullerton, California. We actually have been in Fullerton for over 40 years, maybe more. Our first group of apostolic oblates actually came from Italy to Stanton in the late 60s. Um, And they actually started off, believe it or not, as teachers at St. Polycarp. And that's a whole other story. But there were even former classmates still within the diocese um, that were... (laughs) students of the oblates and these poor oblates knew more italian than english um so that they learned with the kids um <laughs> and have many stories to share but ultimately they started there and then moved on later on to fullerton where we run, we run a retreat center the pro sanctity spirituality center which is the former convent um at saint philip church and so basically as we have assignments based on the needs of our apostolate in our communities i was asked to move to california um in 2013 you had to leave those winters and come to these. these oh, places. yes. <laughs> so what do you do here then? So my community and I run the retreat center. as a Similar to what you did in Nebraska type of idea? Um, the retreat center in Nebraska is more of a rec center for youth. Um, this one, I would call it, I tell people it's an adult retreat center in the sense that oh. it has overnight accommodations, um, meeting rooms, and a chapel and food services, basically. Um, and so we make it available for outside groups. We host a number of RCIA retreats, um, uh, secular Franciscans, like different third order groups, basically. We can <laughs> distinguish that later. Or different ministries that would want to have their own meeting places. As well as we run our own programs there. We do our weekend retreats as well and Bible studies and groups like that. Okay, so we're going to take another break here in just a moment. We've got you here in California, and you are working both at uh, Philip Benizi Catholic Church. How did I say that right? Pro Sanctity Retreat Center. Uh-huh. You, but you're, that's but that's where you're located, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, so on the campus there, but it's called the... Pro Sanctity Retreat Center. Pro Sanctity uh-huh. Retreat Center. And then you also are working with the Diocese of Orange directly. When we come back, I want to make sure we talk about that and perhaps talk a little bit about what we should do, especially those of us who might be in our decision years, about exploring this as an option. Because I think most of us only think about we're going to become either a priest or a nun, or we're going to go get married. or And that, that or part is the part that's mm-hmm. in between that I think that you're filling in some of the other possibilities. You're listening to Orange County Radio. With me today is Joan Patton, AO, which stands for Apostolic Oblates, We're talking about her call 
And when we come back, we want to talk a little bit more about how that translates, perhaps, into your call. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Joan Patton. And before I go any further, I want to make sure I take a moment to thank you so I don't forget to do so as we run out of time at the end, because we've been talking very intensely about calling. And so, Joan, thank you so very much for being so open. I mean, we have a lot of opportunities to give our talks, those of us who go into public life a little bit. You're kind of in public life a little bit. And so I'm sure you've done other talks before. Thank you for being so open and candid about what this has meant to you. Our audience appreciates that, too. Thank you. You're very welcome, and and I'm glad that you are here. We've been talking a lot about what your call has been. What is it you do here for the diocese? I, I understand a little bit more about what you are doing as an oblate in your community. Yes, uh-huh. What is it you do here in the diocese? And why? So as of last year, I... Uh, was asked to take the position as delegate for consecrated life in the Diocese of Orange. Um, and basically, it, it's the liaison between the bishop and the religious communities um, and members of consecrated life in the diocese. That's a, probably another just love or passion that I have. I love consecrated life as a whole. I love the different religious orders. I love to collaborate and work with sisters and and others um, in the church. I told you about that experience of, of being with all the sisters and praying with them as John Paul II was dying. Um, and so I was super just grateful and excited to be in this position. And um, ultimately, I work with Father Brandon Dang in the vocations office. And it's a kind of a twofold job in the sense that I support the religious communities on the diocesan end if, if they need something from the bishop's office or there's a lot of paperwork sometimes um, and, and things like that, administration. you got a billion people um, in your church you want to share paperwork to go um, But also connecting um, them to resources in the diocese. So I, I'm no one superior in that sense. I'm just kind of a resource person. I like to imagine myself as a bridge, you know, um, so like connecting people to things and helps and things like that. But I'm also there to work with Father Brandon to promote vocations um, on the diocesan level, giving uh, resources to churches and schools, or maybe, again, collaborating with religious communities to do some type of program or retreat. Before I started in this position, I was actually doing those things here, just on the side with different um, orders. We did a we did a vocations retreat, actually, at the retreat center. I hosted one a number of years ago, and we had college students come, and it was beautiful. We actually had a young lady join a religious order <laughs> <laughs> as a result of meeting them right. at the retreat. It was That's fantastic. beautiful. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, so just different things like that. So let's let's go there. We've got a number of people who are listening who are probably asking the question of themselves, what am I called to do? I, I don't necessarily feel called to have a regular married life. When I say regular, what's expected in our society. Mm, mm-hmm. And therefore, they're, they're thinking about uh, what their other options are. A lot of people are familiar with, with the idea of becoming a, a priest or a nun. What should they be thinking of if they want to include the possibility of becoming an oblate? Mm-hmm. How would that manifest in someone who is, is asking God to give them guidance and to, they're willing to Say yes to God. Now, what am I saying yes to? Right. Ultimately, I would say it starts with prayer. And prayer teaches us how to listen. But sometimes we need to even learn how to pray. So making yourself available to God is is the first part, right? Um, And noticing uh, there's a lot of fears in our hearts. Making those apparent to God (laughs) is actually very helpful when we're in prayer. And not being upset, you know, about where you're at. Instead, like, let the Lord love you. Let the Lord cast perfect love cast out those fears, right? So which means we have to present them to the Lord. It also happens in relationship, relationship with God, relationship with others. So I encourage young people, go get people's vocation stories. That really helped me. I, I interviewed people, and my question was not, you know, tell me about your religious order. It was tell me how you knew what God's will was for your life. Because if I hear what you did, it might help me understand what God's doing in mine, right? See, this is why I was thanking you so profusely earlier. Because it's not so much you telling me about what the A and the O stand for or even what their charism might be. It's how their charism impacted you and changed you. And it's your individual story that changes people. Mm-hmm. So 
I guess I would ask you, you've by now, you mentioned you've done a few of these retreats. You've done probably several retreats on vocations. What stories stand out? What do you remember from individuals that have come to you and talked to you about calling? Mm-hmm. Well, the good news is that, of course, God is still calling people. You know, as we look at the church as a whole and we hear like, oh, vocations are declining or there's a vocation crisis. Ultimately, God is calling. And so we need to support people. Like I mentioned, tell people. You may have a listening crisis. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a good way to say it. Yes. <laughs> um, I also think we need to educate parents better. You know, right. I have met people who who've actually told me my, my son was thinking about joining the priesthood and I told him no, cause he'll be lonely. <laughs> I thought, oh dear. <laughs> this is why we have this apparent vocation crisis, you know? Mm. So, um, to pray for parents, but also to educate them. And the catechism of the Catholic church actually says that parents in the education, of your children do not sway them from a vocation, especially if they're being called to the, a vocation in the church. Um, but to pray for your children. So I think that part of that is, is the education piece. But what's been beautiful is to walk with people, to listen to people, to see people. Um, one young woman put it, she was attracted by the mystery, uh, you know, of in the church in this, in a particular religious vocation um, call that she had this understanding that she was being called to. Another young woman told me one time, oh, it was so beautiful. I was like, how do you know God's calling you to consecrate life? And um, she said at the time, she said, I don't. But what if God just wants my yes? I'm going to give God my yes and see what happens. And that has always stayed with me. That to recognize the wow. gift that we have, that all of us have. Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me. In saying. What are you asking? <laughs> right, right. And it's like, it, in a certain sense, it doesn't matter, right? And right. I mean, it does, but it really, like, to give the Lord our yes and to recognize, like, what happens in heaven when you say yes to God? Have you ever thought about that? Well, and there's more rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume that, that this would be also a, a great deal of rejoicing. I would ask the other side from I'm going to play devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. How much presumption is there in presuming that God is going to respond to you? I mean, do you have people that come to you and say, God will give me an answer. I'm just going to hold out for it. Mm, that's a great question. I would say we need to keep knowing who God is then, right? If, if I have an understanding or if I've been taught um, that God's a loving father, why wouldn't he answer us? And this is actually what became very clear for me when I reached that point of being overwhelmed at that conference of like, I don't want to go all over the country finding a religious order. That seems exhausting, and that's not romantic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still... You may not have a husband, but you've got plenty of romance. I'm still a woman with desires, and um, I am not house searching. Um, like, that is not the ideal. I want to be... I'm a bride. I recognize that in my own heart. And I want to be carried over the threshold. I want my bridegroom to show me where I'm going to live. And that's why it became so clear. Again, over time, in prayer, with discernment, talking to people. It wasn't just me deciding this. But like it was like right, laid out before me. And I really received it as that because that's what I was asking Jesus for. I just I know of some people who have raised that question about the what if. What if I'm just reading into this what I want to hear? Mm-hmm. Because there's a part of me that is romantically, as you put it, in love with the idea of a vocation that may not necessarily be a vocation God really has called me to. Because mm-hmm. there are some people who would love to be in a vocation on the one hand, but aren't necessarily equipped. Right. And that's actually the beautiful way that the church has set up a system of discernment in, in any form of consecrated life. Right. You, you don't just present yourself to the order or even to the diocese. I'm your gift from God, you know. <laughs> so, um, I love it. there's a, it's the same way with marriage. Like you just don't tell somebody, I'm going to marry you. Oh, like, there has to be guest a guest <laughs> on in, in, the, in the Disney version sure. of, um, it's your lucky day, Belle. Yeah. Okay. There has to be a mutual agreement, which is the whole point of any vocation, right? It's a, it's a relationship of love, love that's received and reciprocated. And so it's confirmed by the community. It's confirmed by the church. It's confirmed. I would encourage people to find a spiritual director. It's confirmed by external sources. Even our Blessed Mother in the Annunciation had an external confirmation, right? The angel Gabriel appeared to her. He told her she was going to have the Messiah and all these things. And she gave her consent. But how do we know Mary wasn't like dreaming? You know, how did she, did you think she questioned herself? Well, what happened? Elizabeth was pregnant. She went immediately to Elizabeth because that's what the angel Gabriel told her. And Elizabeth was pregnant. So she had this external confirmation as well. And then she was pregnant. 
Wow. That's a very, very good way of putting it. So when we're talking about discernment, we're talking about a number of different things. It's not just all in our own head. Mm -hmm. It's also about what's in God's head through the heads of those around us. Right, because every vocation um, belongs to the church, right? And so uh, all these forms of consecrated life, no, 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 it's a a gift to the church. it, It builds up the fullness and the richness of the church. But yeah, that's the whole point. Like, it's not my vocation. It is my vocation, but it belongs to the church. If people want more information or they want to talk to you or they want to talk to someone like you, how would they go about getting that information? I would refer them to the diocese website, um, ocvocations.org. And ocvocations.org. Ocvocations, the word, dot org. Okay. Right. And we also have the social media handles, ocvocations, as well. And my contact information is there along with Father Brandon's. Okay, so they can go to the diocese, OC Vocations. And there's also a, an a events page, so we don't have a lot of in-person events, but we, believe it or not, have some religious communities doing virtual retreats, and um, I keep that updated as well. Well, as we're continuing to do with COVID, I take it that your normal pace of things is different, but it's going to pick back up, God willing, when as the vaccine comes in. Wow. I had, feel so enlightened about this understanding of, of a vocation that's different what I understood before. Thank you so very much for sure. sharing with Thank us. Thank you. Joan, non-sister Joan, oblate Joan, uh, would you please pray for us and all the people who are listening? Sure. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to share in your name. We pray now for all those who are seeking God's will, for those who are confused, for those who are afraid. And Lord, I ask that you give them your blessing and assure them of your love and your presence. We pray for great courage to receive your love, Lord, and to respond in freedom. We pray that everyone recognize the gift that they have been given to offer to others, to the world, and to the church. Pray for the light and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to move among us, to help us to respond all that's being asked of us. We pray for the intercession of our Blessed Mother, who continues to teach us how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and I'm Rick Howick, your host. If you would like to share this with someone else, you can go to our website, and after this has been broadcast, you can download the podcast at occatholic.com, go to the radio tag, and then once you go to the radio tab and press it, you'll come up with several programs. Ours is the flagship show, Orange County Catholic Radio. And you will find this one, and you can share with them Joan Patton's calling and what she has been doing and this very enlightening subject of the oblates. Thank you for listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will talk again next week.